You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, I'm Avram Kivalevich, and I want to thank uh, the Rabonim and people who have uh, convocated here together with us on this platform, Lekovoid, uh, uh, as we're in the midst of the Shiva of Rav Agoin, Rav Yehuda, Rav Doiv, Kelomer, Zecher Tzadik, Kodesh Levrocha, as I think has become apparent by uh, so many, so much outpouring of words and 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 Zechreinis during this period. I do want to start uh, just to mention the the I guess almost said Maspidim. The Darshonim are going to speak in a minute. I just want to uh, start with Rav Kelomer's own words. Um, in Rav Kelimer's, uh sefer on um, that he wrote, Le'ili Nishmas, um, the grandfather of one of our uh, wonderful uh, uh, Rabbonim who are here, my, my, our invited friend Rabbi Avram uh, or Ruven Pupko, the former chief rabbi of Curacao, his grandfather, uh, Rav Shmuel David Wolken, when he passed away, Rav Kelimer wrote a sefer uh, which I can tell you is a safer that I've seen quoted very often by the bigger ex biggest experts in the field. It's a safer that's me at Machzik as Harub. I'll talk more about it later. The safer Tesefis Ksuva. Uh, in that safer, in the introduction, this is what he writes, speaking about his father-in-law, and I think that it's completely accurate to apply this to Rav Kelimer. Rav Kelmer starts with a question, this that we almost all, all of us have seen, the idea that a sukkah, you have to be able to see the kichovim out from the schach of the sukkah. Now this, as Rav Kelmer points out, is a yershalmi in sukkah. So Rav Kelmer says, you know, where is the source of this idea that when you're outside in your sukkah, that you have to be able to see the kichovim? So Rav Kelimer says it's clear to him that this is really, in a way, the 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 challenge and the gauntlet that was thrown out to every Jew from Avram Avinu when Avram Avinu was told, that when Avram Avinu has to leave where he is, even though that oil is an oil of Torah, an oil of Amuna, an oil of love and family, Avram needs to go out of that ohel. He has to go chutza in order to be inspired and to see the zer, the chichovim, which represent Klal Yisrael. So as Rav Kelma writes, that if you stay bifnim, even though you know it's out there, even though you can maybe look through a window in your house, you can't really be safer and be inspired by the chichovim. Sukkah, the whole mochus is that you're not in your normal situation, you're not in your comfortable place, but you're going chutz. And therefore, going chutz, along with going chutz, means seeing the kaychovim. Rav, Rav Kelimer continued to say that his father-in-law, uh, the the the, the, the Zayazin, Rav Shmuel Volkan, Zechert Tzadik Levrocha, Live that life. He was oimedu misnoitzets. What 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 caused him to shine was when he went chutza, when he went chutza in order to help his brethren. 
to help his brothers that he knew were were were, were beaten down, especially as he says after the Second World War. And even though, of course, he could have been in the yeshiva bifnim, but he knew he had to fight and rescue and be involved in an emotional and tire way and different psalkim for people who were after the Second World War, who were shattered and broken. That's what you have to do when you go out. You're mafkir yourself totally and completely to save. Again, I'm reading Rev Kellmer's words here. Here That's when you're outside of your comfort and you're here trying to help Klal Yisrael. That's when you see and you recognize the kaychovim. The kaychovim, as Rev Kellmer writes so beautifully, They're whispering in your ears, in his ears. That you have the ability to go beyond natural talent, to go to do things that you didn't think you could do to help others. And therefore, when he mentions uh, Rav Volkin, he says that his chasodim, that, that enlightened uh, uh, the world, was able to make such an impression. In the depths of everyone who was Zoha to have a, a, a yachas and to be able to be connected to that fire of Revolkan. I think, again, these words are so appropriate from what everything I've heard, and I know that uh, our Rabbonim here will, uh, uh, will agree with what I'm saying, that this, in a way, stands for uh, Rav Kelmer himself who left the Oyelma Yeshiva where he was known. I just spoke to my brother this morning who was with him together. Uh, he was the Mitsuyan Sheba Mitsuyonim at such a young age. Uh, it's been noted by Rabbi Cohen and others who is going to be speaking here about his Chav Rusashaf with one of the Iluyim of America, Rav Mordechai Gifter, Sechert Tzadik Kodesh He left that. And at a very relatively young age, Rabbi Kelmer was on his way Chutzah whether it was the young Israel in Brookline, and then, of course, for so many years in, uh, I think it was Switzerland first, but then the young Israel of Brookline, and then on to uh, the, the young Israel of Hempstead. And it was there, as he was mamish mafkir himself, to be matzil. The questions and the shyness and, and the involvement with, with everyone, the, the kiru of Lvovis, this was also Yitzias Chutzah. So the epitaph that he wrote for his shver, I think, resonates so strongly uh, for Rav Kelimer himself, who was able to actually, and for those that wonder how he was able to do what he was able to do, he realized that this was his avoida, his avoida bachutz, his avoida to be inspired by the kichovim that he realized represented the zera Yisrael that he, that he, that he's so much treasured. So on that note, I want to speak to someone. Uh, I would like to uh, stop sharing. We'll come back to this. Uh, and I'd like to be able to uh, hand over the mic, so to speak, to someone who was one of those people that was, Rav Kelmer was so mustered to, especially for the 38 years uh, in, 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 in the young Israel of West Hempstead, uh, Rav David Cohen, who I 
had this, this host to be connected to in a number of ways, uh, wrote a very beautiful article uh, in Mishpocha magazine, uh, honoring as a tribute to his Rebbe. And I, I'm going to say right now, I called Reb David at the very last minute you could think of late last night. And Reb David Kedarkoi of Ishnoim agreed to be Mishtatev with us uh, in order to be Machabed his Rebbe and uh, this Odom Godom Ode. So I'm going to, um, uh, at this point, mute myself. Correctly. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak about Rabbi Kalimer for a few minutes. I was thinking that the very first Mishnah in Pirkei Avos comments that Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai, Masurel Yoshua, many of us are familiar with that first Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, that Moshe received the Torah, Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai. And many of the Mepharshim point out that it should have really said Moshe Kibbal Torah Bisinai, Moshe got the Torah on Har Sinai, or Moshe Kibbal Torah Me'akadosh Baruch Moshe got the Torah from Hashem, but Moshe Kibbal, Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai, he didn't get the Torah from the mountain. It sounds literally like it's saying that it was Mechabal the Torah from the mountain. That's not, that's not what transpired. He got it on the mountain. So some suggest that the idea in the Mishnah is that Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai means that Moshe understood that the mountain was the model of how to be a Kli Kibbal, of how to be a receptacle to be able to transmit Torah. Moshe was going to be ultimately the ultimate transmitter of the Torah, the ultimate Rebbe, Moshe Rabbeinu. And he was being taught a lesson. He was Mechabal the Torah, Mi Sinai. He understood that just like the mountain of Sinai was the most nomuch, it was the humblest, it was the lowest of mountains, that that's a simon, that's a symbol of how one can effectively be able to transmit the Kedusha, the sanctity, the holiness of the Torah by making, by being mocked in oneself, by making oneself small and enabling the, the, the call of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be able to be medaber mitoch grono, to be able to ultimately make oneself small and make HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the, and the Torah, the, the Atz Muso of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to make that the, the, the paradigm and that which is most significant and most important. My relationship with Rabbi Kelmer spans almost 40 years. I moved into West Hempstead when I was seven years old in 1979. Rabbi Kelmer became the Rav, uh, the whereabouts of, of 1982 or so. So by the time I was 10 years old or so, and certainly in those critical early years pre-Bar Mitzvah, I can still recall Rabbi Kellimer preparing my Bar Mitzvah Joshua with me, going to his home and benefiting from his beautiful Divrei Torah and working on our speech together. And our relationship basically began from there and then continued as I became more of a serious Ben Torah and spent time in Eretz Yisrael and came back and, and recognized the, the treasure that I was gifted with to have such a rav and such a demus duyukno uh, in my presence, I really began to really soak up as much etza and chachma. And certainly subsequently, when I was ocha to be a rav in three different communities in the New York metropolitan area over the last uh, almost 20 years, always was able as well to uh, call on Rabbi Kelmer, particularly in the most difficult of times with the most difficult and intricate type of questions. I want to just talk for a moment about <clears throat> who he was as a person, his personality, and then talk a little bit about his philosophy of Psak, because I know this shir in general is, is, is focused or devoted generally to Shutim and Shalas and Shuvus. 
So I'm not necessarily going to get into the, the intricacies or complexities of particular Pesachim, but I would like to talk a little bit about his overall gestalt and overall philosophy of how he approached Pesach But just to understand, just we talked about Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai. Just wanna, I was just telling my wife this last night. I've been reading a lot of Maisim this week from different members of the Kehillah. And I was just thinking myself as a Rav, so if I were to travel two, three hours to visit someone in a hospital, a parent of a congregant, or I had to fly across the country, or I did something that was Yotzeim in a cloud that was exceptional to be able to, to, be able to uh, do something for a congregant, I would, I would make sure that my congregant knew that I did that. You know, if I already made such a serious nefesh, I'd want some credit that my congregant should know that I, that I went to, I don't think, and I don't think even there's something, you know, so wrong with that. That you make such an effort on behalf of Balabas, your Balabas could be aware that you did that. You know, Rabbi Kellum was such a nister; he he was so pure that he would do these crazy acts of mysterious nefesh for you know for distant relatives, not even members, like for relatives of members, and and he would then bend over backwards to hide that he was doing it. Like he would try to make sure that people shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't hold like that they owe him a tova. Like he would hide it. He would, Mamish, he was such a, a humble person. He didn't want any cover. He didn't want any credit. He was Mamish. Everything he did was purely lishma for the sake of the mitzvah, for the sake of the chesed. He was purely a mative. And I think that that personality trait really reflects the way he approached halacha as well. The tremendous sensitivity that he had in terms of how he paskened halacha. Before I get to that, I'll just say one other thing. I think it's important just to understand. I, during the Hespedim on Sunday, I was watching and I commented that it's really, it's, it's, I don't know another example of this. And I'm just saying this as, a, as an example. You have a person who was machatonim, meaning his children married the children of some of the greatest Rashi yeshiva in the yeshiva world today. One of his, uh, his eldest son, Shalom, is married to the daughter, the youngest daughter, I think, of, of, of Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, the famed Rosh Hashiva in Philadelphia, really considered the, the Godel Hador here in America, Bismanenu, Moetzes Gedol Torah, etc., etc. So that's his Mechutin, Rav Elias Swerdlov, who's a famed Rosh Hashiva in Patterson, New Jersey, another Mechutin. So when China is accent, his boys went to kind of the more Torah Tamima and Lakewood and Mir and the more Yeshivish type of, of Velt. <clears throat> So on the one hand, it was very mishurash in that world, the Olam HaTorah. And on the other hand, he was the rabbi of modern Orthodox Balabatim, children like myself who grew up in, in modern Orthodox homes, who went to co-ed day schools. And he was just as revered in that world as he was in the Olam HaTorah and the Olam HaYeshivas. I mean, and, and it's incredible, and it's kudos to people like my parents and, and others of their ilk that had the incredible foresight and wisdom that when they had candidates to choose for this position, somehow, if you can only imagine, like nowadays, you'll, you'll rarely see a Rav of Rav Kellimer's background being matched with a community like Young as Well West Hempstead. Why? Because people tend to, you know, min bimino, people tend to gravitate towards that which fits them exactly or that which seems to match. And you don't find too many Young Israel shuls that have Rabbanim that are not Wayu Mesmachim or people that are more of the general gestalt of the Balabatim. And yet here you had such a, on the one hand, you had a match that was min mino, And on the other hand, it worked so beautifully. And Balabatim, who intuitively would have selected one of the other candidates who matched their 
backdrop and background so much more than Rav Kelimer, you can only imagine how much he shined and how unique his persona was that he was able to impress upon people in a world where we tend to be so incredibly dogmatic. He was still somehow so unique and so special and so echad bamino that people gravitated towards him as their selection, even though on the face of it, he was really so, so unique and so different from what they were accustomed to and what they were familiar with. Let me just talk a little bit about what I'd like to suggest was his philosophy of Pesachalacha. And again, I, I don't touch his, his toes to even be able to, to understand the madrigas and levels that he was on and learning, but a little bit that I was able to understand or glean. Certainly, he, he certainly was familiar with the entirety of, of the range of, of poskim and valid opinions on any particular issue, including even das uh, yachid and sugyas and things of that nature. And he, he genuinely understood how to apply what opinion to what person. My father many times has mentioned that you'd see Rabbi Kelmer with the exact same shaila from two different people back to back and, get, and the people get completely different answers. How is that even possible? How does that make any sense? But he was a Talmud Chacham of such sophistication, a posik of such sophistication that he appreciated kind of each person, Basher Husham, what they needed, where they were holding and what within the framework and rubric of a valid halachic approach was appropriate for each and every person. That's something incredibly, incredibly unique. I can tell you many times as a, as a, a ben yeshiva or as a ben Torah in my, in my development, in my growth, so many times he'd say to me, but, but David, uh, a bal nefesh is machmer. The Mishnah Baruch says a bal nefesh is machmer, meaning a lot of times he'd make it very clear that even though maker did, you could do X, but if you're somebody who is aspiring to, to be on a higher madrega, a higher level, you, sh- you should do Y. You should be a bal nefesh. You, you fit that categorization, you fit that classification. He also was very much of the perspective and approach that you need to learn the sugya from beginning to end, to Paskin Shilas. I remember sharing with him when I was in Smicha, I was getting Shimush in a certain context, and the Rav that I was that I was by oftentimes would call other great Gedolia Poskim to ask them kind of how to Paskin on Shilas. And, and he was telling me like for a young Rav, that was a bad demus on some level because he was saying, you can't just like, you need to learn how to paskin the Shiloh. You need to understand the sugya from beginning to end. You need to learn the sources. You can't just kind of like go call somebody and find out kind of what the bottom line is. And yet, ironically, as I mentioned in the base level yesterday, he would he was the go-to person for so many Rabbanim. So even though he was the person who basically answered everybody's Shilohs like that, but he was telling me that, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't pass for you, meaning that I have higher expectations from you that you really need to, to do the work and understand the backdrop. I also want to mention just that he always was, Munach Befiv was, Reb Chaim Kenevsky said this, Reb Yashiv said this. I, can't, I remember why I was doing a paper in law school. I was taking a course in, in Jewish law with uh, Rabbi Dr. Saul Berman at Columbia Law School. And we had to do a paper each semester on a topic of Jewish law. So I decided, I don't know how I got to this. I, I think I talked to the other by Kelmer. I, we, the Shaila was, it's so interesting because now fast forward, you know, 20 years, you know, we have relations with Israel has relations with the UAE and Dubai and everybody's friends now, Bar Hashem. But certainly to go to, you know, the UAE 20 years ago with a, with a Jewish passport, with an Israeli passport, or even a Jewish sounding passport, not Shaila. So the question I analyzed was, could you change your name? Can you change your name to a non-Jewish name, like falsify your passport for the purpose of traveling uh, in Arab countries or, or things of that nature? So I thought, what well, kind of such a serious shayla? I don't know. It doesn't sound like such a serious shayla to me. 
So he, he sent a, he sent a letter or sent somehow somebody to Reb Chaim Kinyevsky, and he came back. And I remember he said he said Reb Chaim Kinyevsky said it's it's Suffolk Yaharik Yavor to do such a thing. But that was but again I'm not getting into the psak, but it's just it was just that was that was his mahalach. And I don't know if you know I think maybe he tried to show me also that we go to Reb Chaim like it, a lot of everything was with a with a chiduch and a and a chachma. You know, I heard yesterday that he sat by Yashiv by Rav Yashiv Mamish for a year, and I think Rav Kivitz will will talk a little bit afterwards about the, the correspondence between Rav Yashiv and Rav Kelimer. I mean, he, he knew Rabbi Kelimer like as a young man, and you see how fondly he wrote about him. And Rav Kelimer sat by Rav Yashiv again. Rav Yashiv wasn't Rav Yashiv then either in terms of stature and 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 and, and renown. It was probably easier to kind of be by Rav Yashiv then. Can you imagine sitting by Rav Yashiv for a year just listening to all the shilas he got and how he paskin? That was that was our rough. <laughs> the rough of the youngest all the West Hempstead uh, was by Ravel Yashiv, the Posekador, for a year, uh, getting shimush. And, and this was something also he always uh, always communicated. I just also want to just point out. I know my time is is running uh, short and thin, but I'll just say also that there was always a tremendous human element to his psukim, meaning a number of times I dealt with him in Hilchas Nida, in scenarios, uh, women who maybe were ill and needed certain kulas in terms of harchakos, in terms of husband being able to have contact with his with his wife, even benidusa for various reasons, shilas in terms of difficult shilas in, in shivinikim, uh, where it would really stare kind of just the shalom bias and things of that nature, and his incredible sensitivity, particularly to the needs of uh, of the woman in these contexts. I remember one particular shila where where he kept stressing to me, you know, it's so important that the woman, you know, needs this, et cetera. And I, I was saying to the rub, I said, in this situation, I think the husband cares more than the wife does. But he was like, he was so fixated on the, the tzorach of, of, of the women, the sensitivity. And one last thing I just, I want to say also, I think this also relates to his approach to psak or his hanhagas in the sense that he was a very fast davener. You know, I'm, I'm not a fast davener, but myself. You know, I try not to be matriach by tzibar by telling them to go ahead of me, etc. He was a very fast, quick. He, he didn't like shlepish monesres, and it, and at some level, it's kind of counterintuitive because it didn't, it doesn't stim with the demus dukno of such a person on such a hechera madrega, such a high level of learning and midos that he wouldn't be like a big davener, like you know. But so one of his sons, Barrow, pointed out to me yesterday that he said, "You're right." But he said that if you watch the David, he had a tremendous amount of focus and intensity in the time that he David. Like he he learned how to compact and and constrict and be mitzam, saying what he needed to accomplish in a short period of time. But Afal Pichin, why did he do that? And I said to him, did he do that when he was outside the shul, like when he was uh, when he was in New Jersey, when he was in Lakewood? Did he daven like that too? But his point was he he really believed in not being matriach tzibor. This was also by Tarte de Sasre and Arab Shabbos, different things. He really held that as a as a as a, a halachic principle to the highest degree, not to in any way stare or make difficult uh, on the tzibur, impose on the tzibur. Think about it. He was basically Moser Nefesh, his own personal tvila, for you know umpteen years. Why? So the people wouldn't, you know, so people wouldn't have to wait for him. I mean, it, it's really it's an amazing sensitivity to really think about who this person was. And what Tfilah must have meant to him, and how he basically, basically davened like a balabas, presumably only because, you know, that wasn't, uh, it wasn't his way to, to make things, you know, difficult 
uh, for other people. He's incredibly flexible, incre- incredibly adaptive, and uh, I can go on and on, but there are other people here, and the time is short. But I just want to say that you know, this I hold that there's an art scroll book here. I really do. I hold that there's a, there's a tremendous amount that can be learned, both in terms of Torah knowledge. Every drasha he gave was like a pearl, a gem, you know. And I, I hope to share another context, different vartlach that I heard from him over the years. Just everything he said was just so unique and so novel. And it, it, you know, he he just he would just like 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 go like into his head and like he would just kind of like it would just come out like without really notes or preparation and it was really just a, a unique individual. I don't know anybody else like him in any way, and uh, it was a covered gobble for me to to be close to him. And I'll just end with this one point that you know when you're when you're in the rabbinate, so when you apply for positions, they always ask you kind of who is your posseh. And most of my friends would, would presumably say uh, Rashi Yeshiva and YU, which was the world that we came from. And I often would say, not to the exclusion of the YU Rashi Yeshiva, because I often talk to them as well, but I'd often say Rabbi Kellimer. And for people who didn't know Rabbi Kellimer, and I think people now are, I think a lot of people didn't know, but people who didn't know are, are, are coming to know, you know, they'd look at you like, who goes to a pulpit rabbi as your postsake? Like, this didn't make sense to them. But if you understood kind of the backdrop of who this who this person was and as I wrote this week, an incredibly overqualified communal rub from the learning perspective. So we had a, a very, very unique uh, lens into somebody who was a gadol b'yisrael in learning, but also a, a gaon atzum in midos tovos and midos hachna and midos anava. Yehezich Rabarach, we should all merit to inculcate a little bit of this unique persona into our lives. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Rav Cohen. And uh, again, I'm going to just tell the people who was here how Rav Cohen agreed to come into this forum at Mamish the very last couple of minutes last night. Um, Rav Cohen, again, personally, uh, not only am I so impressed by what you're saying, but also as uh, Eliezer was the Dalil Mashke, uh, this might be an incredible, besides your great Avedis Tziburis that you do, one of the things, like you say, that we're, we're hoping to hear is being for you to be Dailu Mashka from the Torah of Rav Kelimer, for people to hear, for people to know, for being Malakit, being Maasif, and and this is the type of thing which which I think will be will like someone wrote to me the other day, Le'ili Nishmas, Le'ili Nish, even a person on such a high darga, the Madregas Neshama could go even higher the more people know about his Torah so that I think is an incredible uh, man, uh, something, a challenge for hopefully for you to be to be Mephitz Chutzah uh, I misspoke before I, I, um, I, I, I was and I, 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 I have no regret that we brought you first but I had asked Rabbi Pupko and I I, I, I was ready, I thought I was speaking second but that's, okay. that's right, I got, I got confused it's my confusing. I was confused. And I apologize to Rabbi Pupko, uh, who was scheduled to speak first and has waited. Uh, Rabbi Avram uh, uh, Ruben Pupko, Rabbi Ruben Pupko, uh, is someone who introduced me uh, to Rav Kelmer. He is Rav Kelmer's nephew. Rav Kelmer was married to his aunt. Um, Rabbi Pupko, who is a, uh, a Choshava uh, Rav, in, uh, he was the former chief rabbi of Curacao. Uh, one of my closest friends um, and has been um, connected to me in so many ways. And I have heard throughout our relationship uh, about his yachas to his his incredible uncle. He lost, by the way, just for people to realize, within the last two months or so, he's lost two great uncles. Uh, 
two uncles of such great stature. Rav Gedalitov Schwartz, Zeichat Tzadik Levrocha, was his uncle from his, uh, from his father's side. And Rav Kelimer, from his mother's side. Two of the great, really uh, uh, unappreciated, perhaps, or not appreciated enough stellar individuals uh, in Klal Yisrael. So I know that Rabbi Pupko is, in a way, processing this pain of Rabbi Ali Schwartz and now Rabbi Kellimer. But Rabbi, Rabbi Pupko, I know you've had uh, incredible access to Rabbi Kellimer when he was a young man, knowing him. Um, and I know you have some the types of Dvorim that other people, Mamish, don't really uh, hop and understand. And you can maybe perhaps share it with us, Rabbi Pupko, if you will. He lived around the corner from my grandparents, so that where I was living, and I was at, actually I was in fact in uh, the yeshiva or Yisrael of Rabbi Shia Geltzeler, as according to Rocha. And uh, interestingly enough, it turned out that Rabbi Kelmer was my substitute Rebbe on many occasions, because uh, the Rabbeim used to come in either from Williamsburg or Borough Park, and there were times when they couldn't make it due to inclement weather or for other reasons. And Rabbi Kelmer was the first on their list that he that would be called to be the substitute Rebbe, and this was for Haskalas Gemara, and he was a tremendous Rebbe. He had a tremendous clarity, and even though sometimes when a substitute comes in, it seems for the students like an invitation to, to make trouble and to not have a serious day of learning, but uh, when Rabbi Kellimer came in to be the substitute, everybody looked, for, looked forward to it, and everybody... Uh, listened and everybody uh, behaved and cooperated because it was such a an informative and delightful sheer that he gave and he was able to get it down to a level where even uh, students of Haskalah Skimala were able to appreciate and understand and get a, a glimpse into what real Lamdus was because he certainly was a big Lamdus. Um, uh, like like uh, Rabbi Kiv Levitz said, he was basically, he learned in tells uh, before his wedding, uh, before he got married. And actually, it's interesting because uh, the way he met my my aunt, uh, my Tante Rochi is all gesundsein, and she should have a lot of strength, and he should be a male's yosh of her, and for all of us, for all of Klai Yisrael, was because my grandparents were intent on getting uh, a son-in-law who was a Godel Batayra, and who also had his feet uh, strongly grounded in this world because their other sons-in-law were uh, Torah scholars. And they, this is what they wanted for my aunt, even though she was uh, born in America and raised in America. So she was of a different mindset, but they felt it was important for them to get this type of bacher who was a tremendous uh, goin and had tremendous midas and yet was able to relate as an American young man, which is what he was, and he was very much able to relate to that, and that's why I say he was, to me, almost like a uh, surrogate father. Um, he had, there was a very unfortunate uh, tragedy in the family. I remember I was uh, away at summer camp during this time, and his uh, eldest daughter at that time, Etla, of blessed memory, she was only about four years old, and she got sick and things uh, snowballed and got out of control. And unfortunately, a few weeks later, she passed away in the hospital and it was a big tragedy. 
it's was it came as a shock and it was definitely something that was very 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 difficult to get over in fact i i i stopped my stay in camp and i insisted on coming back to Kew gardens where i could be with the mishpacha in avelis and it was during this time where uh, my uncle Rabbi Kellimer, where in, in a strange way i became the giver and he was the recipient because he had uh there was there was there was nobody from his side who was there for him to so to say get things off his chest and cry and show his sorrow for the loss of his daughter other than me and this was a unique time where i felt that i i now that i think about it i feel that i had the privilege of uh, somewhat reciprocating the the favor and reciprocating the actions that he had always been the giver to me and at this point uh, I was Baruch Hashem able just to be there to listen to him and to also share my zechoyness of uh, his daughter Etele, who I frequently babysat for and I played with her and I tzatzkezich with her. So that was a, a very uh, a very special time. Um, and uh, it, it, is, uh, it, is, uh, it is well known that um, when he had difficult when Rav Soloveitchik uh, from Boston had difficult uh, shyness or things that he didn't have the time to 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 uh, correspond with or to address that he would give over these things to Rav Kelimer to, for Rav Kelimer to be done with uh, Baruch Hashem the the uh, the trail continued and there were times when Rav Yehuda Kelimer had certain shilas and he he uh, drafted chuas and he insisted that I look them over beforehand. So you know, just to have another another glance at it, another glimpse, another point of view. And I felt privileged that he felt that I was the one that would be able to understand uh, his 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 lumdus and his his way of sock, which, like Rabbi Cohn said, was a a very sensitive and a very unique manner of sock. And uh, my final uh, vignette with him is uh, regarding, um, there was, actually I have two, they're somewhat related. In, in one of, in, in, there was an issue uh, of a dintire uh, that he was involved in and both sides had signed on to him as uh, with the Star Birurin that they were going to abide by his psaq. And it came a point where one side wasn't abiding by his psaq. So I asked him, why don't you just put your foot down and say, this is what you must do. And if you don't do this, then you'll be in contempt of court. And he took me to the side and he said to me, I want to explain something to you. I certainly could do that, but that's not the way I do things. I do things with Messinos, with Midas Toivis, with patience, with clarity, where I make it that the other person should want to do what I'm telling them to do. And that was the way that he said he did things. Uh, unfortunately, in this particular case, it didn't work out that way. And even though he tried very hard to make the person want to do the, the right thing, unfortunately, people didn't. But I certainly learned from him a way of, of uh, getting people to follow up sock is not always by being the strong-handed one, but it's sometimes by being the more softer and gentler one. And finally, um, he was a tremendous Don Lakovskus. 
there was a situation where somebody was was nifter, and uh, they were saying uh, the 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 island around that person and his relatives and their friends uh, was saying a lot of uh, praise and shvachis about that person and how great and pious that person was and what a wonderful person he was and all types of shavach that was really not only was it uncalled for. But Lamaisa, I knew that that person was uh, basically a Nidotrechtete uh, Oisbov, and that that person didn't come anywhere near any of the shlach that was being said about him, and that it was a, a total a total farce, a total sham. So I mentioned this to my uncle Rabbi Yehuda, and after he uh, hemmed and hawed a little bit, because he was also from the people that were saying tremendous shlach and has spayed him about this person. So finally, he said that you know you could be Malamut schus on the on the nifter by saying that daato onso. Remember, he said there's a ridvaz that he quoted that said that there are times when somebody feels that uh, they just can't do something because they're coerced by their by their wrongful mindset. They're coerced by their own, but kind of by their own demons by what's going on in their mind, and that's what coerces them to do it. So that was his tremendous way of being Don Lakovskos. So um, my, it was always a, a tremendous chus and pleasure to see my uncle at Chasanas, and he always would ask about everybody in the family, and he took a sincere and tremendous interest to the degree where he remembered what, she, what each of my children was doing, and he would ask about them in great detail. And uh, as I uh, fondly called him Uncle Jordy, I just want uh, everybody to know that he's sorely missed that I'm a nephew that uh, was very, very close to him, and his loss is a tremendous loss to me. And thank you. Rabbi Pupko, uh, thank you so much. And I think uh, once again, uh, it, it's clear that Mishpocha. Is, has insights and, and aspects that are revealed to them that no one else could. And, and you did such a wonderful job, I believe, of letting us get a glimpse of what he was before most people knew and then seeing those same strands develop and, and continue. Um, I, the, the last piece of today, and I understand if some of you perhaps um, uh, are – uh, not you know it's not what you might expect, but I did promise that this would be more of of of, of Tyra than a Hespit as far as I was concerned, and all of this is Rav Kelimer's Tyra, so I'm going to learn up some Shtiklach from Rav Kelimer. Um, um, I'm going to learn up some some Shtiklach from Rav Kelimer with you. And uh, I'm going to start with a piece. And again, I'm going to ask everybody. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to, if you want to uh, interrupt, if you want to ask a question, I'm not calling interrupting. If you want to ask a question, that's fine. I, I believe from what I know about Rabbi Kelmer, what I've come to understand from him, I, I'm hoping that that this is something that he would appreciate that we're doing for him, which is we're going to be learning his Torah. So, here we go uh, for the last couple of minutes. Let's start with, if you will, Hevra, uh, with uh, Rav Kelimer's, um question to Rebel Yoshev. 
Now, this was a, a question that Rav Kelimer uh, uh, brought to Rebel Yosha when he was, as you can see, the Rav of the Beis Knesses of the Young Israel in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. The, the date on this is... Um, uh, uh, 1973. I know this because of the answer that we have from Rebel Yoshev. So this was in 1973. Rev Kelimer at this was around 27, I guess, uh, years old. Uh, and he had begun the Rav of the Young Israel in Brookline. The question was the following. Um, and as you can see, as uh, Rev Cohen pointed out, he already had had this relationship with Rebel Yoshev. Uh, in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, Rabbi Yoshev, of course, at that time uh, was known as an Amud Hayro by the people who knew that. And, and, and clearly, as you can see, here was the question. There in Boston and in many communities, uh, they would have public um, address announcements, you know, for the sake of the public, the, I guess the uh, PBS radio or whatever it would be called, uh, would uh, the, the commercial stations on the radio would give um, announcements for the public good. And they wanted to announce the fact that there would be a, an event, a Mavamalka or some sort of meeting at the shul in the Young Israel on the Saturday night. Uh, the and, and, and Rav Kelleher makes clear that part of what they're, uh, the everybody uh, who you would send the Maido, if you would send the Maido into the radio station, they would give you two days of repetition at certain amounts of time, at certain junctures of the announcement. So let's say it had to happen the Saturday night at the Young Israel of Brookline, there's going to be this meeting. So that would be announced at specific times on the radio. As he says here, the Chukayim Shekavu Muchrochem Lishader Esaido Liyamayim. Part of the rules of that uh, radio, of that law, of that station was that these stations had to uh, publicize it for two days. So they would only, I guess, get the uh, message written up on Arab Shabbos. So on Arab Shabbos or, or whatever, it would come in on Arab Shabbos in the morning. It would be announced on the radio on Friday, which is what they wanted. The problem is, is that because of the way this works, the announcement would also have been pronounced on Saturday in the Boston area. So Rav Kelmer points out the community, of course, doesn't care about Shabbos. They wanted to be on Arab Shabbos. But when they went to the station, they knew that if you're going to get this free announcement done, it's going to have to happen on Saturday as well. So is there a problem of the of Amir Akum? So Rav Kelmer, again, in his mid-20s, mid into late-20s, analyzed this based on what is the Isser of Amir Lenochri. And he says, if you take a look in the Rambam, the Rambam, again, it's a famous Machlekes Rishonim. What is the idea of Amir Lenochri? Why can't I tell a non-Jew to do Malocha for me? So one of the reasons behind it is because what the Rambam says, that if you have a non-Jew uh, doing a Malocha for you, and you see it can happen, that might lead you to say, well, maybe I'll do it next time. Because what I want was accomplished. Maybe I will now take that next step. And it's as if 
uh, I will do this on Shabbos. The second svar, and that's what the Rambam says, the second svar, which is mentioned by other Rishonim, is the idea, as Rav Kelmer points out, that there's an idea of shlichus, that in a way, whether it's not an exact shlichus, but when someone does something for you, even a non-Jew has an element of shlichus, it's as if he's doing it for me. So it's as if I did the malacha myself. Those are the two svaras. So Rav Kelmer says, in this case, there shouldn't be a problem. Because, first of all, according to the Rambam, it's got to be something that you want to happen on Shabbos. If you don't want it to happen on Shabbos, then there shouldn't be an Isser. So based on that story, there shouldn't be a problem of telling uh, the the radio station. Um, and even if you say it's Shlichus, Shlichus is only if you tell them, you have to say, you're my agent. Um, but there's really no minui for Shabbos. You just give in the uh, the statement. The statement gets sent to the station. There's no actual description of shlichus at all. There isn't any discussion with that person to get it done. So in terms of shlichus and in terms of the gzeira that you might want it to be done on Shabbos, since here they didn't want it to happen on Arab Shabbos, on, on Shabbos at all, that would be tutstodim to be mako. He, Rav Kelmer adds a third svara, which is the shitas of the Chsam Seifer. And again, this is a famous Chsam Seifer, but still not everybody knows about it. That even though there's one thing called Amira Lenachri that's also, but this is Amira de Amira. Okay, so that's the question. How about if you tell a non-Jew and the non-Jew tells another non-Jew? Is that also to be done? So the halacha is that Yes or no. There are posts that say even that's usr. However, they say sometimes b'moka mitzvah, you can do amira da amira, where you say something, and what you say is said over to another non-Jew. That might be mutter, but over here, as he points out, that uh, the tshuvas the maras son, which is mentioned by the Mishnah Lamelech, that the um, it's clearly an um, right? it's, you 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 say it to uh, it's an amira to amira that you're doing on erev Shabbos. In other words, where I'm doing the amira on Shabbos itself, you could say you can't tell a guy to do it on Shabbos for him to tell another guy. But here, you told the non-Jew on erev Shabbos, and the non-Jew is going to have to tell another non-Jew. Because you go into the office, and the office goes to the guy who makes the announcement on the radio. That's Amira da Amira on Erev Shabbos. And therefore, it should be Mutter. So this is Rav Kelmer's three Tzadim to be Mako. Now, that really would be enough, it would seem. Now, what, now he wanted to know from Rebel Yoshev if he was correct. But then Rav Kelmer uh, gets into a Shailameshev that he found. Now, this show, now not, the show Meshiv is an easy safer to find if you've got Barilan. But if you don't have Barilan, the show Meshiv has multiple, multiple volumes. And obviously, it's, it's from Rabbi Yosef Sholnotas, and it was one of the greatest postcom of the late, of the mid to late 19th century. So Rav Kelmer found this chuva that mentions that it's Rashi's opinion that, um, 
the whole idea of 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 speaking of, of telling a guy to do a malacha is not because you might want to do the malacha. It's not because of shlichus. It's because that's not what you talk about on Shabbos. We learn out from the psukim from Yeshaya, Dabro Dover. You speak about Shabbos things. You don't speak about work being done on Shabbos. That's Amiru Lenochri. It's based on the fact that it's Daber Dover. What do you talk? Right? So speaking to have a goy do work for you uh, on Shabbos is like speaking about business. So obviously, if you hold like Rashi, that that's the Yisod of Amiru Lenochri, then anytime you speak on uh, Arab Shabbos, it's not Dabru Dover at all. So the problem, of course, with using this uh, sniff of the Shoyu based on Rashi is that uh, Rav Kelimer parenthetically explains here that, Ra- that Rashi in many other places, another place in Shas, Rashi explains a different Svara behind uh, Rashi mentioned Shlichus. So Lachora, it isn't just about Daber Dovar. And therefore, um, there is a, uh, in fact, Rev Kellimer points out that one could say that both are true. And again, he says that on one hand, there's an idea of shlichus, the guy's doing a job for you. Another hand, there's a do of Daber of Dover. Dover. You're talking about business, which you shouldn't be talking about. So this is where Rav Kelmer divides it. He says there's two isurim in why you can't tell a guy to do something. One is the fact that you, what are what is it that you're saying? You're talking about a malacha being done for you on Shabbos. That shouldn't be done. That shouldn't be done on Shabbos. The second is the fact that an action occurred. Not that you talked about it, but that uh, 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 the, uh, the activity was actually done by the non-Jew, and now that activity accrues to your benefit. He says you really need both, because obviously, let's say you speak to a guy and the guy refuses, you still were over the Isra of Amir Lenochri, even though he didn't do anything. That's the problem of Daber Dover. In terms of shlichus, that would be even if you came up with a way that you didn't ask him to do it. But he knows you want him to do it for you. So that's where you say, hey, he's like your shliach. It's, you know you wanted him to do it for you. That's what by Dasar, even though you never actually spoke about it. And he says, therefore, you need both svaras. Uh, that's why Rashi, it's not a steer in Rashi, as Rav Kelmer points out. But he says... You therefore, he says, you can't use the Daber Dover as a heter. Uh, and he says, I can't believe the Shoyul Meshiv didn't realize this, but therefore he feels that he can be Mako based on his other two svaras. Now, again, what, I think what you see here, and I don't want to, again, I, <laughs> what you see is, of course, Rav Kelmer's not only is wants to ask the Shiloh, and he already has figured out basically the answer, but you also see his Avas HaTayra as he's discovered what most people perhaps wouldn't have known about, and uh, he has a Kasha, and he's able to be Miyashavit. Um, I, I, when Rebel Yoshev answers him, and Rav Kelmer, by the way, published this, or gave it to be published uh, in 1980 in a Torah journal uh, for um, for Chabad, the Chabad Yeshiva in in Boston, 
was publishing. So this was a sick, he had it for a couple of years in his, in his notebooks and gave it into them. But he also edited Rebel Yoshev's answer. And I'll show you what he edited. He says, this is what Rebel Yoshev answered me. Here's Rebel Yoshev's actual answer. And this is the part Rev Kellmer edited out. This was printed in the Chuvas of Rebel Yoshev. And let me just show that to you. Um, You heard what Rabbi Cohen said about his relationship to him. So this is his answer that that he wrote. Again, it was you know 1973, First, I want to tell you how happy I am, Rebel Yoshev says. I want to give you my my authentic, heartfelt brocha of a mazotov to that you were able to become a rov in a very important shul. This was the young Israel in Brookline. And as Rabbi Cohen pointed out, when you take a Talmud Chacham, and I again, the questions that came in from Brookline are very well known. The famous tshuva from Rav Moshe about women wearing talesim, that came from Rav Kelomir Shul from the young Israel of Brookline. Boston has always been, in many ways, on the cutting edge of many of what we would call the, 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 the questions of where are we as a community and what sort of accommodations are we making. Every community that took Rav Kelomir was zochet to, to Rebel Yoshev, what Rebel Yoshev says, take it for Talmud Chochem Brocha. This is Rebbe Yoshev's tefillah, which we know Rav Kelmer was Mekayim. That there should be Kiddush Shamayim based on what you do, Rav Kelmer. And anybody who helps him will also have the brocha. So that was the way Rav Kelmer, in his incredible modesty, did not want to uh, insert that when he first uh, gave this to be published, uh, the praise that Rebel Yoshev heaped upon him. Um, I will tell you that he agrees with Rav Kelmer's psak, but he wanted to actually, just to say, since we're mentioning Rebel Yoshev, um, uh, Rebel Yoshev points out that um, L'Chaira, he says, since it's going on the radio, he says, it has a din of a Melechus Farhesia. When something is done between two private people, it's not considered so extreme. But, Rebel Yoshev says, when something is very open and everybody sees what's going on, so even though normal Amir Lenachri doesn't apply, it's Farhesia. This is something that would be usher based on Aniram Mimnachri. Because when people see something that's so public, what they end up doing is being chayshed that it occurs on Shabbos. So Rebel Yoshev says, going on the radio, everybody who's listening to the radio is going to hear it. And he says, even though it's true, it's not going to be people who are religious who are listening to the radio. 
But we know there are many uh, Jews who aren't religious, he says, that are going to be listening to the radio. So there's a bunch of people hearing the announcement for the Young Israel of Brookline being announced on the public access station or whatever station was, 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 was and therefore, L'chore, it would be Osir. So therefore, he says, I hear what you're saying, but Rabbi Yoshev came up with a tzad to be machmir. So why did he eventually, Rabbi Yoshev, say it was all right? Because he says, however, you could have another svara. We know when it comes to a tzorach of a yachid, then the laws of Amir al-Nachri are very strict. But as he points out, Rabbi Yosha from the Mogan Avram, that there was, a, the Mogan Avram points out that there was a minute in that community to pay for the garbage pickup from the streets, including, of course, the Jewish streets in the Jewish area. So even though Lamaisa, the Goyim, are doing the Malocha on Shabbos in front of many Jews, but since it's a Tzorach Rabim, since it's the Rabim that are doing it, so there's no Svara that the Rabim hired the Goy to do it on Shabbos, even though it's Bifarhesia. So therefore, Abel Yoshev wanted to say the same way when they clean the um, when they clean the streets, you uh, even though it's a Malocha Daraisa that the Goy is doing, but you know it was clearly not commanded on Shabbos because this is a Tzayra Chatzibor. So you could say also that since it wasn't one person who sent an announcement to be proclaimed on the radio, but it was the board of the shul, the board of the shul is like the tzibur of young Israel. And therefore, when the tzibur does something, you're not choshed a whole tzibur of doing a malacha, of, of commanding someone to do it on Shabbos. Nobody's going to suspect that. And therefore, based on that hetter, Rebel Yoshev felt mitzerach tzibur, he would agree to the psak of Rav, um, Rav Kelmer. Derech Agav, I don't want to get into it because I want to uh, finish here, but he spends a lot of the tshuva going and explaining his own answer, Rebel Yashiv does, to the Shoyal Meshiv, uh, and he finding another Shoyal Meshiv that Rev Kelmer seemingly was not aware of, and Rev Kelmer actually responds in the next tshuva about that Shoyal Meshiv that Rev Yashiv finds out, and he actually, uh, uh, in a way, is loichem mochamta shotayra with really the the paisek uh, the paisek hador. So I, I I hope that in this brief uh, thing you've seen a little bit of what he was in his twenties. There's a lot of other examples. Uh, I didn't get a chance to be a Mewitz Yoisha really uh, for all of us in this terrible terrible zman uh, that we're living in. And uh, hopefully, uh, uh, all the, the tzaddikim that were that were oila lamala will be able to to, to help be makarev and 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 go to, and, and 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 really bring us very 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 close, if not immediately, uh, to be us Mashiach. Uh, thank you again. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.